Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Cricket Unfiltered. It's our bleary-eyed wrap of day one from Lords. I'm Menes. I'm joined by Paul Dennett, who said, I think, on Talk Sport on Tuesday that it would be a shame if England lost this Lords <laughs> Test match. Uh, Paul, how are you feeling? I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good, mate. I am. I'm able to be objective when I'm talking about it, but then when I watch it, I can feel patriotic and parochial and. Let's party like it's 1989 or 1993 or 1997 or 2001. This was a day that felt like we we're back in the good old days of the 90s. England tried hard, but they just got demolished and de- dismantled by um, a juggernaut uh, in the form of Australia. Now, that's not to say that England aren't going to fight back. They may well still win the Ashes 4-1. But just on this one day, I felt like I was back in the glory days of the 90s. It felt to me like 1993 when Michael Slater scored his... He made in Test century, was it at Lords in that first, in that first day, and it was a little bit heavy overhead. That's it had that real uh, feeling to me. That was the one that afterwards they released the T-shirts. That was um, who took four wickets at Lords, and it was um, Shane Warne, Glenn McGrath, and England. Because I think Australia <laughs> declared it like four for six hundred, and then rolled England twice. <laughs> that might have been the Test where Mark Waugh was out for ninety nine. It he, was he, yes. He was telling a story that. I think someone had had a, a bit of a wager that the, Australia's top four would all get centuries and, you know, Taylor, Slater, Boone all obliged and then Mark Wall was out to Phil Tuffinal, sort of trying to hit one from wide of leg stump for a single and it deflected off his pad and onto the stumps and apparently the disappointed uh, gambler was up seen at the Aussie dressing room um, chastising Mark Wall for that shot. Oh, I mean, I think he'd apparently had 100 quid on um, it happening at 100 to 1. What a stupid bet. There's no chance that's ever going to happen. And then all of a sudden, it had happened. And Mark Waugh had cruised to 99. He was a billion to 1 on to get 100 and contrived to get himself out. Yeah, I felt very sorry for that punter. And just to complete the humiliation, Alan Border also belted 77, batting at number 5. Uh, so, yeah, uh, I just looked it up. 4 for 632 declared. So it wasn't quite um, – well, we might get there. We've already lost five wickets, though. <laughs> Australia, five for 339 at stumps on day one. Uh, David Warner led the way with a scintillating 66 off 88 deliveries. Manus Labashone, a nice 47 off 93. Steve Smith, probably the man of the day, 85 not out off 149 ball balls. And then Travis Head played Trav ball, smashed 77 off 73 balls and really dominated England and – 
Smith and Head put on 118 that really took the game away from England in that last session. Just going back to the start of play, some, some notable um, achievements. Um, Nathan Lyon uh, playing his 100th consecutive test for Australia, a testament to his hard work and durability and his dedication to the craft. Paul, as someone who's called for his head repeatedly on this podcast, clearly it's a failure because he's played 100 tests. Any words on his uh, achievement? Yeah, um, I'm very... <laughs> I think I have to go back and delete all the back catalogue where I've asked him to be dropped. Um, uh, other times I've been praising of him and then I've gone back and oscillated back and forth. So, yeah, uh, congratulations to him. And um, yeah, like I think at this stage I'm probably willing to concede that uh, 100 test matches in and about half a thousand wickets, um, he's probably on the, the better side of the argument than me. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And, and someone, and, and we both commentate on Sheffield Shield cricket, yeah, he he is a is a player that when he's not playing for Australia, he goes back and he bowls tons of overs for New South Wales. There's no accident. His success is no accident. It's you know built upon hard work, a dedication, and a real sort of you know a real development. You know, you think of the bowler that he was when he came onto the scene. You know, he's just got better and better and better. And uh, for a finger spinner in Australia to play you know, over 100 tests, 100 tests consecutively, and now approaching 500 test wickets. It is a phenomenal achievement. Yeah, and I think you're right. He has continued to improve. I think he's bowling better now than he ever has done before. And, yeah, my point has not been that there are other spinners better than him. I think I've sometimes said that um, I would just rather go in with four um, pace bowlers. But certainly compared to other off-spinners in Australia, there's been some cracking bowlers who've come down to Australia, off-spinners and leg spinners, who've all been humiliated. It's really Shane Warne has been fantastic and then and Stuart McGill and the only other one who's ever had any success in the last 30 or so, 30 or so years um, is Nathan Lyon. I mean, um, you know, someone like Colin Miller at a, at a more abbreviated level, but uh, a whole litany of great bowlers have come down here and been destroyed. So well done to the GOAT. Indeed. So Australia pulled a selection, a switch, and they replaced Scott Boland with Mitchell Stark. I like the selection. I think it's nice to have Stark's extra pace. Hopefully he'll get the ball to swing with a bit of cloud cover around in London. But I do think it's strange that Stark missed out on the first test where you would think conditions there would really suit him, a dry, a wicket. And now on a pitch where you, you wouldn't mind seeing Boland bowling on that slope, they're brought in Stark. Where do you sit on it? Yeah, it's a hard one. I, I'm never disappointed to have Stark in the side because I like him, but I would I would have stuck with Boland for this game and then potentially made some swaps after that. Um, but Stark certainly strengthens the batting. He does add that extra um, dynamic. He, he roughs up stuff for, for Nathan Lyon as well. And uh, he's a fine bowler. So I would have picked Boland, but I, I can live with Stark for sure. All right, now let's get to the action on the pitch. They, they bowled one over and then... Play was stopped because protesters wearing Just Stop Oil t-shirts ran onto the field and there was this amazing image of Johnny Bairstow picking up one of the protesters and walking him off the field to the sideline. Now, my flinch reaction, Paul, was to be a bit disappointed that the players would get involved, not because it's for the political reasons, but because, you know, you don't want the players endangering themselves or putting them in, in a position of risk. To me, that's the security job. And I do wonder how, when these warnings about the protests were so public, that the security was so lax and they were just able to get so far onto the pitch. So that's my first criticism. But after play, there was 
a discussion by David Warner that there was a worry that the, if they got onto the pitch with that chalk substance that they had, the game may be stopped, not not for a short time, but it might take hours to get that stuff off the pitch. So sort of look at it in a different light now. Where do you sit? Oh, I think when I compare the cataclysmic uh, future that we have with climate change versus a little bit of damage to a cricket pitch, yeah. that's where I sit. Um, I'm not going to criticise them for protesting. Uh, but no, that's I, mean, I, mean, I mean, no. Uh, what do you what do you think of Bearstow and Warner and that stopping them getting to the pitch? Yeah, I mean, I I I think Bearstow, um Yeah, I, I agree with you. They'd be better off not touching them because there's been that history of you know Terry Alderman um, tackling a, a streaker and hurting his shoulder. Greg Chappell reaching out to shake someone's hand and then smacking him um, on the bum with his bat with his bat. Um, obviously Andrew Simon's one that was, um, you know, really celebrated. I just think, yeah, in this day and age, uh, uh, let them go. Uh, don't get involved. All right. So after a d- delay of around 10, 15 minutes, they had to get the protesters off. Then, uh, best they had to go off and change his equipment. So they got, they got going again. And I thought England's bowling, they bowled some good wicket taking deliveries, but in between that, there was a lot of freebies, a lot of half volleys, a lot of wide balls. They, they let Warner get going with some real gifts. You know, if you're trying to get some runs and get into form, bowl me, you know, five half volleys outside off stump any day. And I, I felt that a couple of good balls, but they just didn't hit their line and lengths consistently enough. And also I was listening to Josh Tung in the press conference afterwards. And honestly, these palms are driving me bloody nuts. He goes, oh, we were unlucky in that first hour. Well, take your bloody catches. Kawaja edged one past Bearstow to first slip. Bearstow doesn't move. Warner's dropped on 20 uh, by Pope off broad at third slip. You know, you take those catches, the game could be totally different. So I don't know. I don't think they were unlucky, more inept. Yeah, Root had one that was a tough one that he possibly could have caught as well. Uh, yeah, I thought that it was a um, reminded me a little bit of India's first session in the World Test Championship final. That it was okay, but they didn't use the conditions as well as they should have. But what was really disappointing was I expected that England would kind of sort themselves out at lunch and bowl better for the rest of the day. But as it turned out, their bowling in the first session, albeit only okay, was their best of the day, and they they progressively got worse as the day went on. Um, I think it was a pretty disappointing day for England, um, all things considered. That um, that'd be w- possibly their worst day's performance, um, with the exception of when they collapsed against South Africa. That might be their worst day's performance since um, McCullum and Stokes took over. I reckon. Now you look at their bowling figures. Broad went at four and over. Robinson, Tung all went for over four and over. Jimmy Anderson, fifteen overs, none for twenty nine. His economy rate looked good, but I actually thought he looked probably one of the worst of the bowlers. He didn't look like getting a wicket, looked very slow. A lot of his balls were just kind of that length outside off stump that the Aussie batters just didn't nibble at. So, yeah, you're pretty poor performance on the first day. Um, so Australia got to 50 um, for no wicket in 18.1 overs. And then just before lunch, in the last over before lunch, Josh Tung had Usman Khawaja bowled. Um, when the score was 73, he shouldered arms, Phoebe Litchfield style from the women's test, and Kawaj was out for 17, and the players went off for lunch. And then after lunch, uh, Labashane and Warner resumed. Um, uh, nice innings from Warner. He went on to make 66, got a real peach of a delivery from Tung, who eventually got through and bowled him for 66. It sort of came down the slope back towards Warner and crashed into the stumps and he looked to do it the ball before and got pretty close. Yeah, that was really nice from Warner. It reminded me of the Warner of old. Yeah, it was a really punchy, good innings from Warner. 
and it took the I would say what's by far the best ball of the series to date to dismiss him. That was a, a scintillating ball from Tung. You wonder where that was for the rest of the day. I mean, that was the best ball of the day and daylight was second, third, fourth and fifth. Um, I think I said on Twitter that even Bradman would have only been able to reverse wrap that for a couple. That, that ball was so good. So that was his first half century since I think the MCG test um, for David Warner. So it was long overdue. I think he made one half century in 2019 in that 90 yeah. odd runs. So um, his second half century in England since the 2015 tour. So much needed. And that's probably actually nailed down his spot for the rest of the series. And I've got no complaints about that. Um, I, as I've said repeatedly, um, he's not the player he once was, but I still think he's better than the alternatives at this stage. So Warner went, the score was two for 96. And then uh, Smith joined Labashane and we had a, a lovely passage of play where Steve Smith came out on fire and raced to 24 or 15 deliveries um, and really put England on the back foot, some beautiful cover drives, a lovely pull shot. It really was vintage Smith. Labashane went with him for a while there. And for an hour, we just smoked England's bowlers. It's one of my favourite things when sort of the best of a generation and the best of the next generation combine. And I know it wasn't a, in the end, an enormous partnership, but that hour was just magnificent. And, you know, I look back at some of the times and you look at the highlights of Greg Chappell and Alan Border having a great partnership together or Alan Border and Steve Waugh, or even way back, you know, Bill Ponsford and Don Bradman. I just, yes. I'm real, I'm a real sucker for that sort of um, when, you know, the great of one generation and the great of the next put it on together. Uh, that was one of the most entertaining hours of cricket I've seen in a long time. And it was just a, a, a demolition of being like, you know, if it was a good ball, they blocked it without any problems. And anything else, they were motoring along. You said Smith was going quickly and Labashane not so much correct. And then Labashane also got in, in on the act. And it was a, um, a, a very, very dispiriting time for England. Indeed. The umpires were a little bit trigger finger happy. And they gave Smith out, caught behind off broad. That was overturned, missed the bat by a fair bit. I think Marnus was given out LBW off broad. That was overturned. So, uh, so yeah, some some hairy moments in there, but mainly brought about by the umpires. Um, I think it's one of the things that the English umpires are the best in the world. And they, I think that for the Ashes, you might as well just get all English umpires, um, that they are a standard above anyone else. And um, that, yeah, the, that one, the LBW that was given... Uh, when it was hitting outside the line, just never looked out. Um, uh, I've got more sympathy for the one that caught behind because it, I thought that was out as well, um, obviously until technology showed that it wasn't. But um, that LBW one was a strange one. So speaking of modern greats, Steve Smith in this innings went past 9,000 test runs in 174 innings, the second fewest in test injury history behind Kumar Sangakkara who went past 9,000 runs in 172 innings. Just for context, so Smith is second on 174. You've got the Wall, Dravid on 176, Brian Lara on 177, and Ricky Ponting on 177. Five great names there. I mean, it's a stunning statistic. I mean, obviously, Sangakara is just incredible to do it best ever. But um, just how many innings do you think it would have taken Bradman? What, 100, judging by his average? Well, he, he got to roughly 7,000 in um, 80, 80 innings, 70 completed innings. So um, uh, what's that? Um, well, probably, yeah, around 100 yeah. then. Yeah. Um, my brain's not working at this time of the morning. Um, <laughs> um, 
but incredible stuff from Smith. I mean, we've been privileged enough to cover him right throughout this podcast. Um, you know, just an, another significant milestone for him, you know, charging towards 9,000 test runs. He's 85 not out. I thought he, you know, he played really well as he sort of ground the gears back and supported head, you know, it was vintage Smith and, uh, yeah, I hope he sticks around for a few more and gives um, some of these records a bit of a rattle. Yep. Uh, I reckon 103 innings probably would have done it in. Uh, absolutely. Um, it's quite quick. These milestones seem to be mounting up. It seems only the other day that he was getting past 8,000 and 7,000 before that. Um, it's a pity <laughs> for various different reasons, uh, self-inflicted and also COVID, that uh, Tendulkar's record is probably out of the question, but... You just never know. Um, I, I hope he, I hope he keeps on going for a long time at test level. I, you know, I'd love him to be still on the side in four years' time. And just to give you an idea of how much he slowed down, fifty uh, Smith got to his fifty off one hundred and two balls, so he was twenty four off fifteen balls, so another eighty seven balls for the next twenty six. Um, so Marnus Labuschagne was out caught behind off Robinson, good ball from Robinson, sort of angled in and just straightened a little bit, found the outside edge of Labuschagne, and he was out for a nice 47 off 93. He still looks a little bit unsure outside off stump, but uh, certainly um, combined well with Smith for 102-1 partnership. Bit of a against the run of play. I mean, uh, Robinson was my prediction to be England's best bowler for the Ashes, and a lot of Australians have been making the point that he's bowling at, um, you know, pretty military medium speeds. And that doesn't always matter in England because you can bowl at that speed and still be effective. But it, it was a bit noticeable at one point when Warner went down on one knee and swept him like a spinner to the fence. Um, so some of the, the brick bats are coming the way of um, Robinson from the Australians in response to his own uh, chirpiness. Uh, he certainly hasn't done anything to dispel them today. Yeah, Warner said after play that he played that shot to just add a bit of doubt into the England bowlers' minds, and it certainly did work because we hadn't seen him play a shot like that, um, you know, in this series so far. So Labuschagne was out, 198 for three, and then he could, the door slightly open for England there, you know, into our middle order, but boy, was it slammed shut by Head and Smith. As I said, 118-run partnership, dominated by Head, made 77 off 73 with 14 fours. They bowled a couple of good balls to him early, but in between that, you know, the balls were just disappearing to both the boundary on both sides of the fence. He was very strong square of the wicket, too much width for head. And they also, when they bowled short to him, he was pulling them nicely. And it was just a, a gorgeous innings, I would say. Absolutely. And I don't understand why sides when I think it's just the pressure that he applies, but they they bowl so much, um, so many shots, so many balls that he can hit. Um, this whole short ball tactic to him, oh, I've got no time for that. I understand, yeah, he's looked a little bit awkward occasionally, but surely for head, it's got to be every ball. Bowl it to him like he's on 99. Bowl it the boring third, three and a half stump line, hit the top of the fourth stump, um, have a nice single saving field and, and don't give him anything. Don't go out there and try to do too much funky stuff because he'll smash you all over the shop. Agree. So Australia three for three sixteen at one point, absolutely cruising, looking like they're going to finish stumps, you know, with plenty of wickets in hand. And then Ben Stokes brings Joe Root back into the attack. He bowled a little bit earlier and he ends up picking two wickets in one over. Travis Head 
tried to hit Joe Root into the surrounding neighbourhood of St. John's Wood, was missed it and was outstumped. And then three balls later, Cameron Green played the strangest shot. It was a decent length delivery from Root and Green got all messed up judging the length and sort of played a cross bat shot and just spooned it to mid off and was out for a duck. He won't think fondly of that shot, I'm sure, in his first innings at Lord. So from being in a really strong position at three for 316, two quick wickets, the men Australia were five for 316. And with the new ball looming at the 80th over, it did open the door a little bit for England. Impressive from Joe Root. Um, you know, you you're looking at it thinking, God, this is this is not what they expected to have Joe Root bowling on day one when they've sent the opposition in under grey skies with a pitch that's pretty green. Um, and suddenly for him to pick up those two wickets was totally against the run of play. And yeah, I mean it was an interesting shot from Green. It's almost like Green's needing to get that middle middle gear that he either comes out and plays too defensively and then thinks, Oh, I, I won't do that again, and then uh, plays a, a little bit too much of an extravagant shot too early. Uh, I still think it's just a matter of time that he um, finds his groove completely at test level and is going to go on and be um, a real star of the game. But uh, I think one other thing that's worth noting is as much as we are criticising the English bowlers, and I think with some validity, this Australian top order, the top five when you look at them now, um, with with heads average now up into the high 40s, the same as Kawaja, um and Warner's sort of, you know, the mid-high 40s, and then Labuschagne and Smith nudging 60. You'd have to go a long way back um, to find many sides that have a top five with those credentials. So, you know, we, we, the, the Australian top five is a very, very impressive side. Yeah, and you add that to, uh, you know, green, uh, Green's development carries a fine wicket-keeper batter, and, you know, all our bowlers have over 200 test wickets. Test wickets, really, we should be... Absolutely smashing England. Um, just on headshot, I, I don't really criticise it because, you know, that's the way he plays. But I do think he tried to hit that one too hard. Like, he, he, he sort of, he didn't try and hit it for six. He tried to hit it for 12. And that's where he got in trouble. Yeah, maybe. And it was pretty clever from Root to to, to toss it wide. But, um, um, yeah, uh, one other thing, just while I think of it, um, I, I think that, the theme so far in the Ashes has been highly entertaining cricket, which is to the credit of the cricketers in spite of the pitch, not because of the pitch. I think that, yes, this pitch had a little bit of movement, but it didn't have enough life in it to really uh, allow the, the the full entertainment value that these players have within them to to be expressed. And I, I, I'm getting a bit sick of it that why no other sport would tolerate that. Wimbledon wouldn't have a... Um, a substandard grass surface and, oh, sorry, you know, we just left it to some guy who didn't know how to do any better. The ICC needed to get involved and look at pitches in the lead-up and, and have me- measures and readings. They should have to prepare three pitches simultaneously. And if the if the level of bounce and, and carry isn't enough in the lead-up, do something drastic to make it happen. And then say, listen, if you don't get it right, next year we're going to bloody ship in a synthetic pitch. Um, and then oh. you'll be making sure that it'll be bounced. And, and the traditionalists will be up in arms, but that's what tennis has done. You know, apart from Wimbledon, um, no major tournament is on, on grass anymore. Uh, maybe it's time to say we're sick of having um, cricket games ruined by slow, low pitches. If you can't do better, we'll put a synthetic one in. Then how do you like that, champ? Well, you've got your wild statement for the podcast Paul, calling for <laughs> AstroTurf at Lords to replace the <laughs> traditional square. Uh, 
<laughs> so England took the new ball in the 82nd over, but they weren't able to get a breakthrough. And only 83 overs were bowled during the day. Australia finished five for three, three nine. Smith, 85, not out. Carey, 11, not out. They did lose seven overs, but I'm not so critical this time because of the protesters and there were a couple of little rain delays. So all in all, I think they did a, a pretty serviceable job. Nonsense. Uh, Absolute nonsense. It's, uh, uh, rubbish overrate, as always. And the rain delays got made up. They they played, they they got the time in. Yeah, the protesting, I, I'll give them that. But that was only um, three overs or four overs that they should have um they should have lost. They're meant to be able to bowl 98 overs in the six and a half hours that they get to a bowled 83 or whatever else. It's pathetic, but it's the same every single time. And until they start just making a, um, a punishment that is going to fit the crime, they'll keep on doing it. And they could fix it overnight and we go on and on and on about it. Um, people are getting shortchanged. The TV broadcasters are getting shortchanged. They're the ones who should say, give us, um, you know, you, you bowled seven overs fewer than you should have. Give us a percentage of the high mon- money that we pay for TV rights back. All right. Can't argue with that. Now, um, Australia, so I think they'll want to, you know, get up to around 450 plus after that great start. And then I think we'll bowl really well on this pitch. I can imagine Hazelwood and Cummins, you know, bowling a lot better than what we saw from England. So I'm I'm pretty um, bullish about Australia's chances in this test match. It's going to be so fascinating. The last I looked at the weather forecast, it's improved, actually. There's a, a, a hell of a lot of rain around London right now. But where it had been um, expected to be right throughout much of day two seems to have come a bit earlier. And I would imagine it's pouring. Um, uh, it's going to pour tonight in London and that um, hopefully we'll get a, a full day's play. But, you know, the forecast over there changes all the time. It's going to be fascinating because assuming Australia do add another 100 or so, England are going to come out probably under overcast conditions. And it's going to be a pretty challenging sort of situation to play the brave way that they talk about. So... Either way, either they'll smash it everywhere and it'll come off and that'll be amazing or they'll get rolled um, and that'll be amazing or they'll back out and play conservatively and that'll be a talking point as well. And last thing before we wrap this up, just you asked about, you know, Lords having AstroTurf pitches if they don't lift their game. Um, Just a couple of comments. One, I don't know if you remember at one end of Lords, they have a little slope at the end. Now there's a rope there so you don't get it. But I do miss that little slope at the end where you'd see the ball just go up it and then for four. Um, and then I think it's actually time that they put proper sight screens at that member's end of Lords. Like player safety is so important. You know, if they have to take away a few member seats, bad luck, you know, sit with, with your egg and bacon tie somewhere where else. But, you know, those sight screens are borderline illegal. And, yeah, I think Lords needs to move with the times, put proper sight screens there and, you know, tell the members to stuff it. Yeah, I, to, to clarify for the listeners, we are aware that there is still the slope um, from one side of the ground at Lords to the other. But you're talking about back in the old days, that there was a sort of that little extra bit that the ball had to go up to hit the fence. Yeah, and uh, it's still I there. With... I saw it. You can just see. I saw it still there, but the ropes obviously before it. But I used to love it when it just go up that little hill at the end and for four. I agree with you with regards to the side screens. Uh, what I will say about Lords is that the new um, the, the the addition to the Edrich and Compton stands that are on either side of the media um, centre, I think that looks magnificent. I think the ground is looking better than it has ever looked. Um, I, I still just, I, I like the other grounds more because the atmosphere is more uh, raucous and loud. There's too too many people at Lords who have turned up to have a, uh, you know, the, I can see MCC members with their backs to the cricket from lunchtime on because they're catching up with others and drinking champagne, which is nothing wrong with that. But um, 
uh, I, I prefer the atmosphere at other grounds, but it is a beautiful, uh, beautiful venue now. Great. Well, Lords, the cop to serve in this podcast. Paul, let's wrap this up. Day two awaits. Thank you, everybody, for listening to our wrap from Lords. I've been Andrew Mensel, joined by Paul Dennett. Don't forget to rate and review the podcast on your favourite app, and we'll be back with our wrap of day two. This is a Piccolo Podcast production. Sports Social Podcast Network.